Talking Seinfeld is brought to you by the Four Finger Discount Network. Excuse me, driver, why are we getting off this exit? To pick up the other members of your party? Right, the other members of our party. <laughs> what other members of our party? I didn't even know we were in a party. Oh, I'm telling you, the jig is up. It was a bad jig to begin with. We never should have started this jig. It was a good jig. It was a bad jig, a terrible, terrible jig. What are we going to do now? They're going to know you're not O'Brien. There could be more than one O'Brien on a plane who ordered a limo. First of all, you don't look like any O'Brien, period. Well, you should have been O'Brien. I don't even want to be Murphy anymore. Do I still have to be Murphy? Yes, you have to be Murphy. It makes no sense now, me being Murphy. You're Murphy. I'm Seinfeld. You're Murphy! <laughs> Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. This week, we're here to discuss Nazis. It's the limo. I'm Dando. And I'm O'Brien. Actually, no. <laughs> no, I'm Guy. Good episode, this one. This was a very fun episode. It was very much in the same sort of uh, categories like the parking garage and the Chinese restaurant where it's just sort of one scene or one location for the majority of the yeah. episode. Not many characters involved. And um, yeah, I just thought this one was just so simple, but so funny. And it really sums up Larry Charles as a writer as well, because he says in the inside look, which is like little behind the scenes, little clips on the, on the DVDs, that they had the idea that George and Jerry leave the airport, right? Piss off from the airport. Where can we go from here? And Larry's like, what if the limo was like a, a neo-Nazi limo? <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> who comes up with that? You know what I mean? Like that kind of idea that comes to his mind, but that just sums up Larry Charles. Very much so. Yeah, it's uh, certain people have certain brains that have a certain uh, chemistry to them, and uh, yeah, it, I don't know if I've sort of told this anecdote in the past, but it's one of my favourites uh, about Saturday Night Live and about the the early days of it and Dan Aykroyd, and the line it was. No one could be jealous of Dan Aykroyd because no one could imagine coming up with the shit that he came up with. It's not like, oh, he's doing what I do only better. It's like, this guy's doing stuff that no one else could even sort of fathom. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that reminds me of this and that. It's like, how do you get from, yeah, this point A to that point B? You know, you've got to have a certain type of way of thinking to, yeah, to be able to travel in that direction. And But God bless him for doing so because, yeah, this is a really good example of, um, I don't know, I guess a comedy trope or approach that I really dig, which is like um, a quote-unquote good idea that goes bad, <laughs> that goes really south really quickly. Yeah, and it's, it's just played so well by all concerned. What's so great about this plan failing is that, you know, George is known for coming up with plans to get out of situations, but who in their right mind could ever think that that plan that he came up with was going to escalate to this? <laughs> <laughs> but I love how confident he is and he's so confident that you, it's easy to sort of get swept along with it you know it does feel like all the parts are falling into place when the you know jerry first gets off the plane and he gives him that information it's like oh, well yeah he's, no, brian's not getting in that limo because o'brien's uh, in chicago he's definitely in chicago <laughs> from there you go well yeah why not come on <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing but the idea of getting to the limo it's like it's you know it's a bit cheeky but we'd all we'd all try it <laughs> yeah and I think they're thinking, and they probably do say, what's the worst that could happen to you? That's, that's my motto for life. What's the When I say, for example, people say, how do you get someone so as a guest on your show? I'm like, well, I just ask them. The worst they can say is just no or just not reply. Yeah. Who cares? I'll at least ask them. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, I doubt there are very few jerks out there who would say, 
How dare you approach me to be on your podcast? I, not only am I going to say no, I'm going to tell all my famous friends to say no. <laughs> it's like, oh, 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 I wish I hadn't asked now. But fortunately, that has not been the case thus no, far. No, not yet. No, no, not at all. But um, yeah, as you're saying, this episode was just so unique. It, it, it felt very Seinfeld, but also felt very unique as well, didn't it? Like to have the balls mm. to have an episode based around Nazis. Oh yeah, I mean, particularly in in the early '90s. I mean, I think that. Casting my mind back to that era, I think, and I've said this about um, you know, The Simpsons and other shows as well of this era, yeah. I think there was a, certainly in the 90s, there was a frame of mind where it's like, guys, we've solved all the problems. <laughs> it's, it's cool. <laughs> the the wall's down, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's essentially where it started. You're right. It's like we knocked down the Berlin Wall. Yay for capitalism. I think we've, you know, we've pretty much put the kibosh on communism and now they're going to come around to our way of thinking. It felt like, guys, we've got it sussed. You know, 21st century is just going to be so good. <laughs> um, and, of course. <laughs> um, so, you know, sort of making fun of things like Nazis is like, well, you know, we beat these guys. Of course there are a few dickheads who are, you know, going to be rabble-rousing and all that kind of thing. Meanwhile, yeah, that there is that sort of seedy underbelly that's, you know, sort of gathering strength and gathering speed and gathering support. But no one took it seriously. It's like, it's just a handful of dickheads. Who cares? I wonder if I wonder if Jason found it uncomfortable to read those lines out in front of Jerry. I mean, obviously, I, I, he wouldn't have felt uncomfortable, but it, it would have been weird because Jerry's obviously Jewish that... For Jewish, to, uh, for Jerry to be in this episode like that, I wonder if he was the one that sort of instig- like when Larry mm. said it can be a neo-Nazi. I wonder if Jerry's first thoughts were, oh, I don't know, or whether he would just went, "Fuck this, this is going to be great, let's do it." I think there's there's that time thing where it's like I think enough time has passed since uh, since World War Two and the Holocaust. It's like not that you can make fun of it, but you can poking fun acknowledge- at the Nazis. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. Well, that's the other part. Of it. I mean, first of all, you can acknowledge it without it stinging that much enough time has mm. gone by i mean you can be of course respectful and uh, and acknowledge it and all that but at the same time not mention yeah you, know, you can mention it without people going oh, uh and then secondly yeah they're, they're poking fun at, uh, at at neo-nazis here i mean no one's coming out of this thinking wow this uh, this o'brien character seems to have you know a few good ideas i mean just just by virtue of him reading the speech that's, that's the, the speech reading. I was just like, "Oh yeah. my!" <laughs> yeah, and I love Jerry's. Like, you sure you want? You, you think you want to open with that? <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. So, what did you think of uh, of Ava and Tim? Well, yeah. I mean, it's um one of the great things about watching shows from this era, and and, and Seinfeld's a great one for this because so many people pop up, you know, that later become stars. I think it is the one of the nineties, really. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, seeing that uh, the Tim is uh, Peter Krauss from mm. Six Feet Under, and, and various other things like the Truman Show, which we covered on the Movie Guys. Yes. Um, and um, Ava, is it Eva or Ava? I think it might be Ava. Ava. Well, he says Ava. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's spelled uh, Eva, but he pronounces it as Ava. Yeah. 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 Is um. Played by an actress named Suzanne Snyder, who 80s kids like me will mm. remember as one of the chicks from Weird Science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know Weird Science, a film I've never seen it completely. I've only ever seen bits and pieces of it. Not sure how well it's aged. Okay. I feel like it'd be In- right up my alley because I was, I was right into like those 80s geek films. But put the way they treat the ladies in that film aside, I'm sure I would enjoy it. Here's the thing. I mean, I, it, it's been a long time since I watched it. Yeah. But to the best of my recollection, not that it's a 
feminist message, but essentially the the core message of it like is these guys are essentially objectifying women to begin with, and they learn that hey, women are people too. It's it's a <laughs> it's a message you shouldn't really have to learn, but it's good that in, they in an era where people were still learning that, unfortunately. <laughs> Very much so, but it it goes about that in a way that's a little, guys, really? (laughs) But there's so much to enjoy it, you know, mainly because it's got my boy Anthony Michael Hall at sort of like primo. I really do. He's in primo geek era. He pulls off some comedic stuff in this. It's just like, oh, my God, you're just a master. Uh, but it's also got early stuff by uh, Bill Paxton, just giving Mm. a fantastic performance as – the, the other guy's uh, shitty brother. Um, it's so, so good um, it, in that regard. But, yeah, uh, Weird Science. Oh, that's right, because Suzanne Snyder is in Weird Science and also in this episode as Ava. We brought it full circle, Dando. We know what we're doing here at Four Finger Discount Enterprises. <laughs> she's not just in Weird Science, by the way. She's also uh, Jerry's girlfriend in the future episode, The Pie. She's Poppy's daughter. Oh, my gosh. Yes, there you go. It's, it's, Seinfeld does that quite a, a bit, where they get people who have already played somebody to come back and play somebody else, <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's not seen as wrong. It's just like, oh well, yeah, she played in this, she was this, and she was in this. And it's like, okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> good to have her around. We know they can do the job. Bring them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An interesting little tidbit. Uh, Jason Alexander was saying in the inside look that when they were making the show, particularly when they were the year of this episode. He was really close with Michael Richards, really close with um with Julia, obviously because they've been doing stuff in off 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 television and things like that together in the not together in the past, but they've been in the same industry together for a few years. Yeah. But Jerry hadn't been so much; he'd been a stand up. He said that Jerry didn't really hang out with the crew all that much because he was okay. too busy being a producer or being a writer or you know that kind of thing. So they said that it, J- Jason was saying he loved doing the one on one scenes with Jerry because he didn't really get that much chance to hang out with him just one on one all that often mm. at the time, and he th- he feels that his best material was when it was just him and Jerry just alone bantering back and forth. And I tend okay. to agree, but he was saying he he particularly loves this episode because it was mostly just he and Jerry just getting yeah. to just go back and forth through each other. It's interesting they say that because uh, yeah, I mean they they do bounce off each other so well, and you know given that they do have these sort of divergent backgrounds. I mean, stand-up comedians, of course, have their own community and uh, their own sense of, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> teamwork or anything like that. But, you know, Jason Alexander and, and Julia and Michael are, you know, primarily either sketch comedians who work in a troupe or with a with a cast, or they're legit actors who work, you know, with a cast. So to be having those different, uh, coming from different backgrounds and that, but gelling so well and finding that really good rhythm together over time, it's it's really interesting. And, it, you know, it, it's great to see it develop over the course of the se- uh, season, uh, series as well. Yeah. They're a good comedic duo, really. You got Because Jerry's almost just the straight man to George's mm. wackiness. But the thing is, Jerry sets up George's one-liners or George's ridiculousness when he says something. But then Jerry's great at coming back with the quips to sort of put a final note on the scene. How often do you have those scenes where it's Jerry saying, what do you mean? And then Jerry says something, uh, George says something absurd mm. and Jerry just comes back with a one-liner and then that's the end of the scene. Like They're, they're a great team when it comes to the, those kind of moments. It's a great dynamic between the two of them. You're right. Yeah, they just, uh, they play off each other so well. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld, you can support the show on Patreon where not only will you get early ad-free access to the show, but you also get access to hours of bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, and so much more. So join the family today at patreon.com slash discount. Link is in the description of this podcast. That is a good one still. Yeah, one of my favorites. 
What were your favourite moments from the episode, Mr. Davis? Hmm, what did I enjoy? Um, like I said, I, I just like that whole hatching of the plan at the uh, at the airport. The excitement building. Yeah, <laughs> the, and, and we, 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 we can do this. We can do this. George thinking, yeah, I can pull this off. And you know, he's saying, this is the you know, best thing I've ever done in my life or something. And you would kind of feel that, you know, just getting one over on the man, especially a limo. It's like, who bloody rides in a limo? Come on. You well, know, they set it up uh, by saying how George has this absolute shitbox of a car that he needs to be getting repaired for years. Yeah. And Jerry's always telling him, you know, you've got to get this car replaced. He's like, oh, I can't afford it. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they just had this big moment where George's life just feels like it's getting even worse. His car's just shit itself. And all of a sudden now he's in a limo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I love his way of thinking when he says, you know, if he knew him, he wouldn't have a sign. It's like. Everything's falling into place. Yeah. So, yeah. But see, I didn't I, even I, think I, of that then. When he said it, I was like, of course. Of yeah. course. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm, I like, I'm normally not the hugest fan of the stand-up bits in between the stories. I mean, mm-hmm. they're good. Don't they're get me wrong. They're getting better off. I feel like they're, they're more intertwining with the stories at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I like the one that he has in the middle where he's, it's Jerry's take on the limo as basically the bachelor pad. You know, because- <laughs> That's right. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> ridden in many limos, if any. I mean, I've ridden in a, the odd town car or something like that, but not really like a stretch or anything like that. Not until not unless but, people are more, more patrons jump on board. That is correct. <laughs> support so, the yeah. show, guys. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, support us. <laughs> Go eventually get a, Dan, a limo. <laughs> Dan and I will just you know get a limo once a week and ride around Geelong. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a casual just hail at the window. Just <laughs> waving at people who, like, who are these assholes? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, there's something about limos that strikes me as just a tiny bit tacky. Maybe I'm saying that from having not ridden in one. But, you know, it is a bit like, hey, it's a car with a bar in it. You know, I always saw these as cars. It wasn't even the bar. Like when I was a kid, and I used to watch like Home Alone 2 or whatever, and Kevin's in the car, right? I always saw limos as really cool because he didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Oh, yeah. I'm like, no seatbelts? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but but uh, his take on the whole, you know, I'm counting there's, there's got to be at least 10,000 asses on this seat already. Yeah. <laughs> it did strike me as a very Seinfeld kind of way of looking at things. Um, just a little, I just got a huge laugh out of this exchange where she's a Nazi, George, a Nazi. Yeah, kind of a cute Nazi. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that they were able to get George to sort of consider dating a Nazi with a Jewish person on screen and still somehow make it funny. Oh. <laughs> and um, I got a big kick out of Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Kramer impersonation. You know, when he's- uh, you It's know, so great, going isn't on. it? Mocking yeah. his theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's in on it. <laughs> but the fact that like Kramer, like Michael Richards plays that perfectly because Kramer's like, you're, you're right. right. It could be. Like, yeah. like, he doesn't realise he's been having the, the piss taken out of him. Oh, man, yeah. so funny. I, 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 it's one of my favourite moments is just Kramer, he's, the way his mind works. And Escalade's like, he's O'Brien. Think about it, Elaine. It's been there in front of our eyes. <laughs> he's too he's too neat. <laughs> I love that he's too... He's not a, he's not a Nazi. He's just neat. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the best things, and it's a nice sort of... I won't say he's a dig at Larry David, but it's you know, kind of a nice little tiny sledge. It's like... You know, uh, Kramer's talking about George, and he says, there's no real person can act the way he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. tell in the writer's room that we've had a big laugh of that one, don't you reckon? Oh, absolutely they would have. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, stuff that I've really got a kick out of, out of this episode, Dano. And how about you? Uh, we've pretty much covered all of mine. Just, yeah, the Kramer <laughs> bit and then, yeah, at the start. I thought it was great stuff. 
Good news, everyone! Yes, everyone's favourite podcast from the year 3000 has returned. It's Tales of Futurama available exclusively for four-finger discount patrons. Starting all the way back at Space Pilot 3000, we're reviewing every episode of Futurama as we sink back a cool, refreshing can of delicious slurm. So be sure to sign up today or else Bender might tell you to... Bite my shiny metal ass! Tales of Futurama, available now at patreon.com slash four-finger discount. This message proudly brought to you by the Hypnotoad. Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. All right, it is time for some trivia, Mr. Davis. But before then, we need to read out the names of our beloved patrons, starting with our $100 patron, Mr. Elliot J. O'Neill from the Simpsons Index podcast. If you are a fan of the Simpsons, and as we say, if you grew up in the 90s, of course you are. If you're a fan of Four Finger Discount, guarantee you like the Simpsons, check out the Simpsons Index podcast, co-hosted by our man, Elliot J. O'Neill. He is our $100 mm. supporter for the last couple of months, and we do love it so much. Thank you so much for your support, mate. It is much, much appreciated. So check it out, the Simpsons Index podcast. Also, our man, Andrew Zer, our $50 patron of the month. Thank you so much, Andrew, for your ongoing support. You're an absolute champion as well. And the following people are $20 patrons. So if you want to get your name read out on every single podcast here on the Four Finger Discount Network that we do here, whether it's this show, South Park Show, Simpsons, Friends, they're all there every single week. Just $5 a week, that's all it's going to cost you to get your name read out on all those podcasts, just $5 a week. Starting with our man, Jordan Molman, Richie, Christopher Darby, Jonathan Rossi, Zach Pruitt, Timothy Burleson, George McMenemy, Stephen Roberts, Sean Devey, Pete Anderson, Plain Old Matt, Andrew Davis, Ryan Dunlap, Jared Howard, Kevin Dental Plan, Flood, Joel Yoland, Katie G, Daniel Kotnick, Shannon Hofer, Reese Roberts, Bala Winderbank, Tom Pickering, Mark Boston Burgess, Groundskeeper Noah, Declan Phoenix, Jack McFadden, Heath Appleby, Preston Murray, and Adric McLeod. Thank you so much, guys, for continuing to be $20 patrons of us here at Four Finger Discount. Your support does mean the world. Also, shout-outs to the latest members of the Four Finger Discount family, starting with our man Andy Kozlowski, Mitchell Glass, Wesley Mead... Tallison Comics, Benjamin Halford, and Benny. Thank you so much, guys, for joining the Four Finger Discount family on Patreon. Absolute champions, aren't they, Mr. Davis? New buddies. New it's always buddies. Great have, always <laughs> great to have new mates into the fold. So thank I mean, you very much to uh, all of our new pals and all of our existing gallery of friends. I'm intrigued by the name Tallison Comics. It sounds like a store. I want to get, I want to get more information. Tallison Comics, let's check them out. Get in touch, Dallas, and tell us a bit more about yourself. We'd like to get to know you. Yes, yes, indeed. Remember, guys, if you want to support the show, you know the deal. Link's in the description of this podcast. You can sign up for as little as one single dollar redo. If all you guys listening right now sign up for a dollar redo, we'll be in the money. (laughs) (laughs) But that's nice for us. That's That's good for us. But even more importantly, it could be good for you, too, because, you know, when thinking less about, oh, how am I going to afford to feed my cat this month, or some shit like that, these are problems that plague me. Um, but, you know, we can worry less about that and more about, hey, Dando, how can we make even better content for our uh, wide array of pals out there around the world who listen to the Four Finger Discount Network? And Dando, being the smart cat that he is, would say, how about this, 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 and this? And I'd say, wow, let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's kick off now with some trivia. My first question for you, Mr. Davis, is mm-hmm. how much would each child, if 50 people were in a limo, how much would they have to pay to rent the limo? 50 prom kids. Uh, it would cost them $1.75 a piece. Correct. <laughs> let's, look, let's look at the inflation of that, actually. $1.75 US, $1.75 USD. So now it would cost them $3.70 in 2023. Oh. So each child would have to pay $3.70 US. That's not that bad a markup. About five bucks, Australian. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
If you can fit 50 kids in the back of a limo, I don't think that can't be a ride. <laughs> hey, All right, what's the hey, first question? Dando, if uh, I wanted to find the clock at the, uh, at the airport, uh, where would I look? Is it near the escalator? It is by the escalators. By the escalator. I had my notes, by the way, that that guy looked like either Oscar the Grouch or Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. Sam the Eagle. I'm leaning yeah. more towards. <laughs> but a Very combo of the two, you're correct. <laughs> that, it's right over there. <laughs> that guy. It, it's one of the great things that Seinfeld does occasionally is just give a, you know, a very bit player a bit to work with or they're very genius in casting people who can make something out of nothing. I mean, Inter- yeah, the, Interesting faces. Yeah, the right over there guy I thought was really good and it led into a line that's been used a lot, but we'll talk about that when we talk about the episode. All right, my next question is, what type of gun does Ava grab? Oh, it's a nice Luger. Mm-hmm. The, gu- the pistol of choice of Nazis, apparently. Is it really? I did not know that. Okay. Hmm. Uh, who, what is the name of the news reporter reporting on the story? Oh, I had that in my notes. It's Jody go, someone. Go look in your notes. Jody. That's why you take notes. Uh, yeah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> the Hound of the jo- Watch. Uh, jo- Jody Baskerville. Is that there right? There you go. Yes, correct. There we go. All right. And my final question is, Jodie Baskerville is doing her a report from where? She's outside the Paramount, isn't she? The Paramount, yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, do I have a question for you? I do have one more if you'd like it. Hit me. Okay. How fast is the limo going when George suggests they just jump and roll? Is it 60 miles an hour? 60 miles an hour, which is a bit more than 100k an hour. Who are we? Who are you, Mannix? <laughs> <laughs> it's showing. So I felt showing its age when it says, you know, "Yeah, who are you, Mannix?" The thing is, though, in that in that scene, though, what's great is we were saying earlier how you know George is good at coming up with plans, but and this was a great plan. But when things start going right, he starts coming up with really shit plans. Your plans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, Hollywood has just corrupted us by thinking, "Yeah, we could jump out of a moving car. It'll be fine. You jump and roll." You know, yeah. you, you know the momentum. You you keep the momentum, and eventually you slow down. It'll be fine. It's like, oh no, you're going to hit tarmac at a hundred kilometers an hour. Oh, sorry, not tarmac, but you know, bitumen at yeah. uh, hundred kilometers an hour. Not going to be good for you. It's like you throw something at the window as a kid. You expect them to sort of go out the window, and all of a sudden it just goes. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> oh boy, I better stay in the car. <laughs> All right, that is trivia for the limo. We'll be right back, guys, after this break with our review of the episode. Mm-hmm. If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're looking for a podcast that'll always be there for you, look no further than our new show, The One About Friends, hosted by myself and my incredible wife, Nicola. She's literally the biggest Friends fan I know, so who better to help me as we revisit every single episode of the show, discussing the characters, fashion trends, and how this iconic series still relates to our lives to this day. The One About Friends is available now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. The original air date of the limo was February 26th, 1992. Uh, it says here, so it wasn't just written by Larry Charles. So he wrote the episode, but the teleplay by Larry Charles and the story by Mark uh, Jaffe. As we we're saying, he was the one to come up with the idea of being in the limo, I'm assuming. And then mm. Larry's like, how about Leo, neo-Nazi limo? And then 
Together, they created this glorious episode, and it was directed by Tom Sharonis, who says that they filmed the scene. Speaking of the Paramount, they went to Paramount Studios to film the... Um, oh. Apparently, they've got a really good New York street, and that's where they filmed the um, the mob running across the road to get him at the limo. Like, the okay. whole Kramer and Elaine bit was filmed at Paramount on the corner there. Um, he was saying that... Now, Tom says in the, um, in the inside look that it just started raining about five minutes after we wrapped up, but if you watch that scene, there's water all over the ground. So uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it had rained prior to that. <laughs> I like that they give it a bit of New York authenticity by just, you know, piles of rubbish on the streets. I think yeah. that's what we, before New York got sort of gentrified in the mid to late 90s, you know, we're still thinking about, oh, New York, it's a kind of, it's a kind of grubby place, a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Little Muppets popping out of the bins and stuff. Well, yeah, those Muppets taking Manhattan. I mean, good, good on knows what's going to happen. <laughs> the forgotten Muppet film, by the way. I'm a huge Muppet fan, and um, Elliot's now right into the Muppets. He started watching Muppet Babies, oh. and now he's you know he's he's uh, progressed to the um to the Muppet Show and the Muppet movies, all the different ones. But the Muppets take Manhattan isn't on um isn't on Disney Plus, and neither is the oh. one. Uh, Muppets from Space, I think they're Sony, I believe. Or oh, okay. Muppets Take Manhattan might be a different mm. one. Love Muppets Take Manhattan, but there's also another one, the Muppets Go to Disney World, which is like a straight-to-TV kind of like movie. Yeah, anyway, for like an one. hour. And that one, it might be on YouTube, I haven't actually looked, but I used to love that one as a kid. My nan taped it, my nan Marlene, she um, she taped it for me. I used to love that one as a kid. Do you think that one would be on Disney Plus? You'd think so, yeah. I don't know. It stars, sorry, I forget his name. Apologies for everyone listening, including yourself, Mr. Davis. Uh, from The Great Muppet Caper and Beethoven, the father. What's his name? Charles. That's Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin, yes. He plays the um, the head of the security of, at Disneyland ah. trying to capture the Muppets in that, in that <laughs> Disney World one. It's, um, it's, a, it's a really fun movie for kids. I'm, I'm surprised it's not on Disney+. Plus. Hopefully they release it soon. But anyway, enough about the Muppets. We're here to talk about the limo. And it uh, kicks off with some stand-up, as you were saying, which was really good. I agree. The prices at airports, ridiculous. But it's like they've got a law unto themselves. They can just make whatever prices up they want. It's like international waters, yeah. They're just the law, the laws don't apply there. Yeah, so you end up what's paying like nine bucks for a tuna sandwich or something like that. It's just an insane markup. You know, you get to the airport early, you think, oh man, I think I could really use a cafe latte just to perk me up a bit. Excuse me, eleven bucks. Yeah, I remember I went to the um this place in, at, at the Melbourne airport. It was like a pub kind of deal. That's more like a bowl of chips, and it was like, you know, $15 for just a small bowl of chips. I was like, how can you charge 15 bucks? And he was like, well, where else are you going to get them? I'm like, touche, sir. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> well played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when uh, the lovely Louise and family and I went to Bali uh, recently, you know, we were having a slight bit of breakfast, you know, at one of the places in the airport before we, um, before we took off. Showing a bit of largesse, I was like, eh, "I'll pick this one up." Get you know, so I'm getting breakfast for three kids, Louise and myself. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> thank God, we're, thank God, we're going to Bali where everything else is cheap. Yes. <laughs> the episode kicks off with George uh, looking for departures at the airport. The, the, uh, now that I've been to the airport enough times. I know where it is. I sort of go straight there. But the first couple of times, yeah. I always forget, you know, which platform it's on. I'm just like, where am I? The first time I went to England, first time I ever got on a plane was going to England to meet Nicola's family. Nicola didn't even know I was coming mm-hmm. that day. So I couldn't like ask her for advice or anything. My mum had never been really been on a plane either. I was so scared. I didn't know what I was looking for. But like just George in this moment was just like me. I'm like, where do I go? Departures? What screen? Where do I put my bags? What do I do? I remember just walking up to someone saying, it's my first time flying. They're like, come here. We'll help you. We'll hold you. Yeah. <laughs> because... I think there are procedures in place. It would be very, very difficult for you to get on the wrong plane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't like scared. I was just scared of missing it. I remember I got there like- No. I got there so early. I was like, I am not going to miss this plane. And I have to sit yeah. there for like two hours at the gate waiting. But I'm like, I would rather be here waiting 
At the same time, you probably go, oh, I can't wait to get on the plane. <laughs> uh, as we get the guy here was discussing, looks at the, um, look at his watch. And I was like, yeah, it's just Sam the Eagle. It literally, even his voice, it was very much Sam mm. the Eagle. But you, and <laughs> as a kid, I hated Sam the Eagle. I thought he was just mean all the time. I watch it now and I'm like, I get him. I understand him now. <laughs> His hatred of people. I get it. <laughs> He's a bit like Morbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we get that living in a society line. You wanted to discuss this. No, oh, not really discuss it, but oh. yeah, I mean, it, it's something that gets used a lot. I think it was, it was Joker recently that uh, where Joaquin Phoenix is on the talk show at the end. He's, always, he's talking about, you know, we're living in a society and all that kind of stuff. And I think it gave George's, you know, we're living in a society. Uh, a kind of a second life. It got memefied a fair bit. You yeah. know, I think any time anyone on social media says something, you know, vaguely untoward or whatever, it was like, or, you know, make some ridiculous statement, you'll have someone popping up saying, you know, we're living in a society. Uh, I, I didn't realise it was from this episode, but... Uh, oh, no, it's the first time in the Chinese restaurant. Oh, okay. Oh, golly. When the, um, well, when the, the person won't get off the phone. I love it. It's one of George's. It's one of George's tenets. Like he's for something that he lives by. It's like, why is life so unfair? We're living in a society. We should all be helping one another. And of course, George is the first person to fuck someone over. If yeah, he and he, or he fucks someone over by not showing he's giving him the time. <laughs> Although <laughs> I suppose right, he didn't really have the time, though, did he? Because I suppose he was helping because he didn't have the time, did he? Well, it's like he clearly doesn't have a watch on or anything yeah, like so that. Yeah, so he was actually see. I took that first of all when I was watching it. Of, oh, and then he went and did what the guy was doing to him. But really, he was helping because <laughs> he didn't have the watch. I will say though, right, and you know, get your daggers ready, listeners. I've never been huge on the "we're living in a society" line. To me, it just felt <laughs> it's always felt like them trying to come up with a catchphrase for George. And Seinfeld has a lot of catchphrases that just sort of people clinged onto naturally mm. and organically. The repeating of the, we're living in a society, just seems like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I've just never found it all that funny. And it just seemed to me like it was just something they wanted to take on, which I don't know whether it did. I can't remember. I wasn't old enough. But did it really catch, did it really I don't, pick up steam? I don't think it really did at the time. Maybe, maybe for a little bit there, but it certainly didn't have the repeat appeal of something like, you know, yada, 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 or no soup for you or whatever. But I don't know, maybe society has started to crumble a bit more. People are keying into it going, you know, I actually do feel like that. We're living in society here, yes. people. Uh, Jerry then arrives and explains how his car's broken down, so he's got no way of getting home. <laughs> if I was Jerry, would be like, for fuck's sake, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I picked the wrong guy to pick me up from the airport. I love how flustered George gets, though. It's one of Jason Alexander's great gifts as an actor for him just to play... Uh, frustration and uh, you know just discombobulation, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Jerry just uh, hit him with. So I haven't got a. So what good are you? Yeah, you are of no use to me. As we would say in Australia, you're as yeah. useful as tits on a bull. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there are times when you and I, maybe me more so. Look at the relationship between Jerry and George. And go, oh my God, Jerry's such a meanie. Oh, oh no, he's so cruel. He's very mean to So him. cruel to his friend. This time it's wholly justified. Yeah, it oh, is. So what good are you? Yeah, I mean, but he says it in a lighthearted way. Yeah, yeah. He's not saying it in a in an overriding "what good are you to the planet" kind of way. It's like you know, this is the one job that you had. I mean, you could have maybe got your car serviced before, and or you knew that your car was a POS. It's like oh, for fuck's sake, really? But anyway, so what good are you? I'm still, I'm still your mate, though. But anyway, so they see the uh, the chauffeur for O'Brien. And Jerry mentions that the flight was delayed. He's stuck in Chicago, and George suggests they take the limo. 
Wait a second. Think about it. He's not showing up. Where do you see the life of kids? It's like 45 minutes long. You said he's in Chicago. He's definitely in Chicago. Well, the guy's just standing there. <laughs> How would we do it? We just go up to him and we say, we're O'Brien. Maybe he knows O'Brien. No, he doesn't know O'Brien. If he knew O'Brien, he wouldn't have a sign. <laughs> Let's just do it. But what if we get caught? What's going to happen? They can't kill us. <laughs> Who's going to be O'Brien? I'll be O'Brien. <laughs> Who am I? You, you, you. Just me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to be you? Well, if you're going to be O'Brien, why can't I be somebody? <laughs> Like who? Dylan Murphy. Okay. What? Now you want to be Dylan Murphy? Well, I like Dylan. You could be Colin. Colin O'Brien. I'm Dylan Murphy. I'm Colin O'Brien. Oh. Mm. Are we really doing this? Uh, hey, do you have the time? Clock over there. <laughs> O'Brien? Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry, we're uh, we're late. Here, let me take that for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'll get the car and I'll bring it around front. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dylan? Come. <clears throat> and as we said earlier, it's just so great how when George realizes he could, this could actually work, it's like, oh, another scheme. <laughs> well, yeah. One that, you know, <laughs> it's home. The perfect crime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there's nothing better than you. You're pulling off. You're not stealing not anyone's money. Crime. What's going to happen? They'll just yeah. take it to get out of the car. <laughs> the perfect victimless crime. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Like punching you someone benefit- in the dark. Yeah, no, exactly right. <laughs> you benefit, nobody loses. And then yeah, we're now in the limo and George is just so excited. He has to call his mum and of course that just goes to shit. <laughs> she happy for you? <laughs> but it's very much just like, it's just, I can, we haven't seen George's mother yet, I don't believe. Have we seen her, his mother yet in the show? I don't think we have. We have well, we haven't seen Frank yet, have we? No, but so because no. we have seen her, you can now hear her voice yelling back at him, can't you? Yeah, Even though we haven't seen much so. <laughs> But then, wondering whether the driver can hear him. Hey, driver, what do you say we uh, stop off, pick up your sister, have a little fun back here? <laughs> that, was like, that just felt like such a real moment. I just felt like it, that's what like, two blokes would come up with. <laughs> I know. I, I, for some reason, I thought that was going to come back to play later. Like, like he could actually hear them, but he wasn't saying anything. Yeah, yeah. Like when he was changing the tire or something, he's like, "Well, the tire's fixed. I can go pick up my sister now." <laughs> but no, I think there was already enough happening in the back of the limo for yeah. yeah. It would have just been one egg too much for this particular Probably. pudding. Probably, yeah. yeah. But uh, you're right, though. It does show off the sort of these guys are pretty high on themselves. George, particularly, they're pretty high on themselves at the moment. So yeah, George is feeling very. He's gone from confident to cocky, which of course yes. is just you know never going to It's it, it's the start of the downfall. It's like the uh, the subway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did love though Jerry in that moment chuckles, and it looks almost like he was just laughing. You just you couldn't keep mm. it in. It was just the way he delivered yeah. the way Jason delivered it was just so funny. But you know he's got four passes to Madison Square Garden, and I think it's for the Chicago versus the Knicks. And fuck man, seeing Jordan at MSG that would have been oh, epic. Yeah. I can I can understand their excitement. <laughs> we're going to the next game, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Speaking of Jordan, I saw that Netflix are now going to be doing a second documentary on Jordan. Like, we're going to capitalize on that bad boy and do the one when he oh, was working, when he's with the um with the Wizards. 
Oh, well, I'm going to take that personally, absolutely. You see, I see things as they are, and I say no. Uh, wait, uh, you see things as they are not, and you... S- uh, wait, you see things. Do you see things as they are? What, what do you say when you see things? Now, the actual phrase is, you know, some people see the world as it is and say, "Why?" I see the world as it should be and ask, "Why not?" Okay. I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot who actually came up with that. I'm pretty sure someone's going to say, "I think that was JFK." I don't think it was. Um, it's one of those moments. Anyway, I, I, like, I like this scene here because. We do sometimes as people just, you know, we, we quote a really famous catchphrase. We get it slightly wrong. But the other person's like, yeah, I knew what you meant. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you meant this, but, you know, I knew what you were going for there. Yeah. You uh, didn't quite get it, but I got the, I got the point. Uh, Jerry then calls Elaine and Kramer. He calls Elaine to, you know, t- to tell Kramer that he's, um, they're in a limo. You've got to call me O'Brien. And I, haven't got, I haven't got any um, any time to tell you why. Just O'Brien and Murphy. So, <laughs> that's right, baby doll. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's catching. He's he's picking up on the cockiness that uh, the Georges are yeah yeah putting down. And the driver says that he um he knows they have to make a little stop first. Like he knows what. And he gets oh. off to the um gets off the exit to go get the other members of his party. They start panicking immediately. George is like, "Oh no, God, we're fucked. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump out of the car. <laughs> we never should have started this jig. The jig is up. Yeah. Pretends he's asleep when they get in the car. He's just like, quick, what do we do? Cover your face. Pretend you're asleep. Oh. <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> pretending you're asleep is such a it's a childhood tactic yeah but well, what know, else, what else could he have done in that situation yeah <laughs> but you know the faithful readers of his newsletter Ava and uh, and Tim they're excited to meet him finally face to face or Ava more than uh, Tim so much but I, yeah. I want to say do you think they're a couple because she comes onto onto George pretty heavily I think they're just uh, disciples just of disciples, the, yeah, the okay. O'Brien uh of the big game. <laughs> way, of, way of thinking. Yeah, the big game. And then George pretends to wake up. <laughs> well, wake I up love Jerry, though. He, he, he covers all hey. the, he covers everything first. You haven't seen his face. Yeah. You don't, no one's ever seen him before. <laughs> hey, O'Brien, you got company. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Lane and Kramer are now waiting on the corner. She caught a cap. You caught a cap? How much do you make? I'm not telling you. Why is it that's <laughs> always an awkward situation, awkward conversation to have with someone, how much they earn? I don't give a shit. I would happily tell anyone how much I earn. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I'll tell people. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to do so, but I'll do it. <laughs> but I know I've I've always been sort of a fan of that full disclosure kind of thing because you know it, it helps your bargaining power later on down the line. It's like, oh, so and so's making this. Well, well, I think I'm probably worth that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elaine, she doesn't like basketball. She's still going, and then Kramer tries to do a uh, pretend to do a Jordan dunk and crashes into the bins. <laughs> Good try and do get some Michael Richards yeah. physical comedy in there somewhere, I guess. Then we get mm-hmm. the other stand-up about the limo windows and the 50 prom kids paying $1.75. I'm like, that is so right. Either someone famous or 50 mm. prom kids. Like, that's just on the money. Yeah, <laughs> just a whole bunch of people at the top going, yeah, <laughs> last Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And we're now back in the limo and, you know, they think somebody's... We're, we're going to miss the tip-off. Think somebody's been tipped off? It's like something's not right here. And <laughs> she's um she's memorised the book. So... Um You've read the big game, have you? Yes, I've read it and, and I've memorized it. <laughs> well, tell me your impressions. I would love to hear what a young woman thinks of the, uh, the big game. Well, this is sort of embarrassing. <laughs> but it's changed my life. The way you analyze the game, the way you identify the major players. Oh, it left me breathless. You're brilliant. Brilliant man. 
Well, it's, it's just a game. Remember that, kids. Just a game. He's so humble. Don't forget what you wrote in the epilogue. The fate of the world depends on the outcome of this game. Hmm? Well, I was exaggerating a bit, just for effect. He tends to exaggerate. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's serious, but... We are really looking forward to your speech tonight. Uh, my speech? Yes, your secretary faxed me the copy. Would you like to look it over? Well, you might as well look it over. The Cogs and George's head is like, what have I got myself into? What oh. is happening here? A speech? <laughs> but I love Jerry just taking advantage of the situation to poke fun at George yet again. It's like, well, you might as well look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jerry, yeah, he's just removed enough from the situation from any sort of blowback that might happen. Then he can sort of lean back, fold his arms and go, well, you might as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't know there's, any, he doesn't know there's guns there at this point. No. <laughs> Landon Kramer once again. Kramer thinks that it's, 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 it's he's trying to work it out. What's going on here? It's very strange that they're in a limo. Like, they didn't tell you why. And the Jews steal our money through their Zionist-occupied government and use the black man to bring drugs into our oppressed white minority communities. You're not going to open with that, are you? Look, what a line. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, but I get the feeling that, you know, the people in the Seinfeld writer's room and, you know, and Jerry himself, they're, they're probably brave enough and smart enough to sort of, okay, how far can we push? This? Yeah, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this properly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want to sugarcoat the fact that these people have a genuinely offensive, you know, worldview. But how can we also make it funny? Because you just want to make it sh- make, make it aware. No, these guys are neo-Nazis. Like, oh, shit. Like, well, as an audience member, yeah. you're watching it, you're like, oh, I get it now. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I see where this is going. <laughs> so, I, I don't think you'd remember. Yeah, I, I think if they soft-pedaled it a bit too much, you, you wouldn't remember it as much as you do. I just love that, like you're saying, the myth of the Holocaust. And the, if, even people in the credit <laughs> here and go, oh, my. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Like, oh, this is not going good. <laughs> flat tyre. They're shooting. They're shooting. George is just panicking. He thinks someone's <laughs> firing at them, but no, it's a flat tyre. And then Ava lands on George. I'm willing to die for you. I'll do anything. <laughs> George is like, oh, well. <laughs> oh, this is going to go one of two ways. Um, then they show off their guns and they're a bit taken aback by this, which you will be. Then we get the news report mm-hmm. and she says how it's the first public appearance of Donald O'Brien, the leader of the Midwestern Regional mm-hmm. Chapter of the Aryan Union and reputed to be the most uh, charismatic spokesman of, of, the, of them all. I love that they, they, they talk about, um, they mention that even David Duke, who was the head of the, mm-hmm. the, the public face of the Ku Klux Klan at this stage of the proceedings, like, even David Duke says this guy's a bit extreme. He's a violent extremist. It's like, oh shit, shit's about to go down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Elaine and Kramer are now, like Kramer's still confused and this is where Dan arrives. I love the handshake that Kramer gives Dan. Yeah. He's like, I'm your buddy. <laughs> I've just met you, but come here, pal. What does he try to do? Not do the jive handshake, but he's, you know, normal handshake, then flip to the one where you're grabbing each other's thumbs or something like that, or... Or am I mistaken? I think it's something well, it's else. It's just a normal handshake, but he, like, he, he grabs onto the handle with two hands. He's like, how you going? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where they- like you, you, like, like you do when you're drunk and you meet someone. Hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. Good to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to, Dan's going to protest. And this is where he explains who O'Brien is and Kramer clicks. So George mm. and Jerry are waiting for the tire to be changed. 
Did you see the way she was looking at me? She's a Nazi, George. A Nazi. <laughs> kind of a cute Nazi, though. Well, are we gonna make a plan before they come back? What are we gonna do? I don't know. Let's just make a run for it. I can't run. I have a bad hamstring. How's that happen? I heard it in a hotel room. You know the way they tuck the covers in real tight in those hotel rooms? I can't sleep like that, so I tried to kick it out and I pulled it. I know. Why do they make that bed so tight? You gotta sleep with your feet like that. George, you know, he can't run because he's got a bad hamstring for trying to kick the covers out. That is like quintessential George, isn't it? <laughs> it's quintessential Seinfeld. <laughs> Just take a second to like, why do they why do they make the bed so tight? Exactly. In this I situation, Jerry- having a, side, a sidebar conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's for mental patients. And then George tries to uh, call the police, but unfortunately they come back in a little bit too early. The Jews, no, they, they hate grass. <laughs> <laughs> They're responsible for AstroTurf. This is the thing, though. So Tim won't leave, and then George waves his dick around, his O'Brien dick around, and gets him to leave again. Oh, he forgot something. I'm sorry. Why didn't they just call the police back? Yeah, good point. Well, George is probably thinking, oh, oh they'll pick up, they'll, they'll know it's the same number, and they'll think that I'm a... Yeah, so I suppose he did say... They'll think that I'm a prank caller or something. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. But they suggest getting out at Kramer and Elaine, and they can't shoot us in the city, because nobody's been shot in the city. Jerry's eye roll after that is just fantastic. I don't think, I mean, he does a lot of sort of expressive acting and physical acting and all that kind of stuff, but I think that's the most extreme that he's ever done, like real kind of, yeah, real eye roll. It's it's great. Kramer thinks that Jerry is O'Brien. I'm telling you, something is going on. I can feel it. Sense it. (laughs) Jerry was joking around. Oh, no, 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 this is no joke. Brian's coming in from Chicago. Jerry's in a limo. Says he's a Brian. That's not funny. Oh my God! Yes, yes. What? What is it? Don't you see? There's always been something very strange about Jerry. Always so clean and organized. Do I have to spell it out for you? The the, the, the limo, the name, the rally at Madison Square Garden. Jerry O'Brien are the same person. Jerry is the leader of the Aryan Union. Jerry's a Nazi? <laughs> Listen, you idiot. Just calm down. I know Jerry. He's not a Nazi. You don't think so? No, oh, it's just neat. He's not a Nazi. He's just neat. That's just mm. like so perfect, isn't it? He's not a Nazi. Very he's just much. neat. <laughs> But the way, as you were saying earlier, the way that she's just like, maybe he's in on it. Oh, it could be. Like, she's just taking the piss. This is, unfortunately, we live in a post-COVID world now where a lot of the conspiracy theorists, who we may not have known were conspiracy theorists, we now know they're conspiracy theorists. And they were saying shit during that time where you're like, I wonder if they'll ever look back on that and go, I probably should have put my phone down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, It's always funny when, you know, they're rational on just about every other thing, but they've got, you know, one little conspiracy theory and you wonder, oh, is this like the crack in the dam? You know, if if everything started out, everything else started to go south, would you sort of start seeing more cracks like, yeah, and then this happened and that's responsible for that. And so it's like, yeah, I wonder if believing in one conspiracy theory sort of leads to believing in multiple conspiracy theories. I feel like many of us have that one friend who we know believes in at least one conspiracy theory and we don't dare ask them on it. You don't, don't question them oh, on no. it because if you do, you know it's just going to just unravel. Oh, yeah. That's picking at the loose thread and then your whole jumper is just a pile of, <laughs> pile of uh, threads. It's like, I like 
95% of you, that, that bit there, I could like, I can just forget. Yeah, and then I'll, let it, it, I'll let it but slide. The, the, yeah. the majority of you I like. So let's just leave that part aside and focus yeah. on the, what I do like. George is now whistling if I were a rich man. Joe tells him to stop it. Tim, uh, Tim <laughs> thinks that, you know, you don't look like O'Brien's and Murphy's. Oh, I might not look like a Murphy, but I act like a Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's Murphy to a fault. And he says he's from Ireland, but he's got unfortunately a um, a Scottish ac- Scottish accent because they're on the on the border. I love that the cereal famine story just straight away just comes up with, with a story of <laughs> yeah. why they came to a, to America. He thinks um, Kramer thinks that they're CIA. Uh, uh, George George's George CIA. Too or uh, Jerry, Jerry's too normal to be a comedian. And George's whole personality it's a disguise. <laughs> no one could be like that. And this is where, and this is oh, sorry. This is where we get the uh, Elaine patronising him you know, because it's just yeah. uh, his whole. It's just um, uh, Kramer here. Majority of Kramer we like, and then you focus on the conspiracy theories. Mm. But Kramer, as a character, he's very open-minded. You can tell he could be the kind of person that would be very sucked into that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a theory that he's going to carry to his grave. I think he's just trying to make sense of a a situation that seems nonsensical. So he's like, well, you know, sometimes you got to pick the most sensible, uh, you know, explanation. And in this case, it's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're either neo-Nazi or CIA or whatever. He's yeah, just gone completely off the rails. I don't, but like I said, I just love Julia's uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of imitation of Michael Richards plays Kramer. I thought that was great. They arrive to pick them up and they think they're safe, but unfortunately the crowd overhears Kramer saying, O'Brien, they think it's O'Brien. So they all get into the limo to get safe. Kramer gets the names confused immediately. It's always Kramer that just starts the the the, the, the schemes to unravel. It happened in the um in the boyfriend, remember, where he's he answered the phone yeah. and things like that. So he <laughs> no, pa- no. passes the phone to Ava and she says, It's O'Brien. And if you're in George or Joe's position right now, you'd be like, Oh no. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Cut to Ava and Tim pointing the guns at them. They all come clean at the same time, like it's not us, you know, we're sorry, we're so, we're so sorry, we wouldn't want to upset a Nazi, we wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> Meanwhile the crowd's jumping all over the limo thinking that they are the Nazis and it's just it's all going to shit. I was trying to hear what the various actors were saying when they're having the guns pointed at I just love Julia saying I would never make a Nazi unhappy. Yeah, yeah, I would never. <laughs> Uh, they see Dan at the window he's confused and then George is then on the mm. news pleading I am not O'Brien I'm not O'Brien meanwhile it says O'Brien and that wraps it up and that wraps it up yes oh well, well with a little bit of a comedy at the end but I do like the stand up at the end with the two versions of the hail the, the casual yeah. <laughs> casual hail yeah, workplace hail but yeah I mean but a bit of an abrupt ending yeah, I, I, mean, I thought that the episode, it's like they wrote it into a, wrote themselves into a hole. They're like, well, how do we get out of into this? Into a corner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, there's no way of getting out, which it normally Seinfeld doesn't feel like that. But at the end, I just went, oh, that that's the end. Okay. Because I wasn't so keeping it. a track of the time. But when it got to the I was wanting to think, how is this all going to work out for them? And it doesn't mm. work out. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting to see how this situation actually resolved itself. Yeah. Anyway. But so- I mean, that's a, it's kind of a memorable closer though just george on camera on the six o'clock news or whatever it is yeah yeah just, just identified as as a donald o'brien nazi leader or whatever thank god this was you know pre-internet so overall i remember when i first you know was a big fan of seinfeld watching the show through i wasn't huge on this episode revisiting it now i don't know whether it's just age or experience but i'm watching it now i'm just like this is so fucking fun <laughs> It's just the, yeah, no. the idea of being in a situation, the first half of it anyway, being in a situation where you're like, you're pulling something off where you know it's a bit cheeky, you're not really breaking any laws, you don't want to get caught, but it's like the thrill of being caught. It's like, oh my God, how far can we, how far can we push this? What yeah. do we pick up our friends? We can go to the 
basketballs. It'll be great. <laughs> um, but then it obviously all unravels. But yeah, the limo, uh, a very enjoyable episode. Yeah, look, I was very, very happy to revisit this one. It was one that I was looking forward to and it lived up to its reputation in my mind. Because the mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let up. It's relentless. All right, some mailbag questions here, starting with our man, Pat Wright. He says, what's the least important thing you would pay to be in a limo for? <laughs> the least important thing. It's funny, when I was a teenager, the area I grew up in, they, I grew up in a suburb called Cryo, for our listeners, it's sort of like the riffraff area. And the Cryo boys, whenever we used to go to a concert, I would always go on the train, but they would always hire a limo to go to the concert. And I just saw it as so fucking lame, but they thought that was so cool, rocking up the festival hall, getting out of a limo. Like, they thought they were fucking rock stars. Yeah. I'm like, you just look like dickheads. <laughs> Having said that, look, I, I don't think I'd go anywhere in Geelong in a limo. I think if I was going to be hiring a limo, I'd probably want to make the trip to Melbourne. Oh, if, yeah, now. But if you're, like, in high school or whatever, to your, pro, to your, your deb or whatever it is, your, your deb ball and that kind of thing. You might do it in mm. high school. We did it in high school. Um, maybe, maybe, but uh, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of your mates just you know, rocking up to outside festival. Yeah, it's us. Uh, the thing is, they used to think that when they rocked up, that people thought, oh my God, it's someone for the band. Yeah. <laughs> Arriving 10 minutes before the show starts. It's got to be there. But what's what's the, <laughs> the least important thing that I would actually do it for? It, it, it has to be, you're going to make it worth it, don't you? You really do. I mean, what, you, you're not going to hire a limo to go down the supermarket. No. Nah. <laughs> like, oh, shit, we're out of rice bubbles. Uh, next question from Jack McFadden. Would you date a Nazi if she was cute enough? Firstly, no. <laughs> Secondly, how cute are you talking? <laughs> i got to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Look, yeah. There are, some, no. there are some lines where it's just like, I don't care how gorgeous you are. No. <laughs> A joke that I wrote ages ago was, um, it's not really even a joke, some people might just find it offensive. Uh, I think some, like, limited edition chocolate bar had come out, and it was really tasty. And I think I wrote, when asked if you would punch a baby in the face uh, to get a free, you know, Mars raspberry uh, chocolate bar, Guy Davis was heard to reply, a baby I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought I thought it was a pretty good gag. If you want, if you want more, if you want more guyisms, follow him on Twitter. Was it at Robert Guy Davis? <laughs> That's correct. Oh, do you have a, like a? I just use I just use four finger discounts now as my personal one. Yeah, yeah. at four finger pod. If you're not following us yet, guys, if you're listening to this and you're not a, following us on Twitter, you can follow us on the Seinfeld podcast, obviously on Twitter at Talking Seinfeld, or you can follow the Four Finger Discount, which you know more regularly gets po- stuff posted up at Four Finger or, Pod, or or, or Dando. You can follow both. You can follow, that's what I said. Follow all of them, yeah. Or at one oh of God, our friends, yeah. or at going down to South, or at South Park Pod as well to follow our South Park mm. show. All right, uh, but uh, yeah, in answer uh, in answer to uh, Jack's question, no, I would not date a Nazi. Uh, Andrew, a Swan- fascist, maybe. <laughs> Andrew Swan says, uh, if you somehow ended up in the wrong limo and you were mistaken for someone famous, how would you go about going along with it? Like, would you be able to? I, I would go the. I like to play it safe most of the time, but there's a part of me that's just like, no, 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 fuck this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Let's. What's the worst that can happen? Like you were saying earlier, let's just mm-hmm. go with this. If they if they think yeah. that we're this person, why wouldn't you? But like, what what actually <laughs> is the worst that can happen? I think I'd be constantly trying to think of ways to not admit that I was the person they thought I was. You know, so I could. What was it like when you made such and such? 
Well, you know, it, it's like anything. When you, when, well, when you make anything, you know, it's going to be an interesting situation, isn't it? Yeah. You know, don't cop to being the person they think you are. So in case, you know, they say, we're going to charge you with fraud. It's like, I never said I was so-and-so. You thought I was so-and-so. Yeah, you know, no, I, didn't, I didn't say I anything. didn't deny it. I didn't deny it. But <laughs> Everyone's listening is going, oh, my God, guy's the worst person. He's got no moral compass. <laughs> He's George. Uh, we got here. Uh, Holly. Holly asks, have you ever pretended to be somebody else to get something? Like, how do you pretend to be somebody else? Like, how do you get into that situation? I mean, I've, pret- I've used a fake ID when yeah. I was younger to get into a pub, but that's about it. Yeah, I've never said I was anybody else. I've never needed to, man. I'm too famous. Likewise. No, 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 I know. I, I'm talking about you. That's you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm Robert Guy Davis. I've also posted on our Twitter page, at Talking Seinfeld, to see whether anyone's asked a question on there. All right, so this one's from Boston Kennedy. Boston Kennedy says, Do you guys ever come across these articles offended from Seinfeld and friends and always can't help but read them? Always very amusing. We've discussed this on the Friends podcast where they, you know, you get your, your millennials going, Oh my God, oh, yeah. we, should, we should totally cancel this Friends episode. We should totally cancel this Seinfeld episode. And it's like, guys, just fuck off. Go go make a latte and go sit with your fucking laptop. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, rather than rather than trying to correct the past or rather than try and rewrite the past, why don't you just write the future? Yes. Why don't you just, you know, make the kind of shows that you feel would not offend? But yes, thank you guys for the questions. Don't forget, guys, to continue to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate the support there. And if you do have a few spare dollar redos, or even just one single dollar redo, you can join the Talking Seinfeld slash Four Discount family uh, via the link in the description of this podcast, patreon.com slash Four Discount. You get plenty of exclusive podcasts, including early access to this show and all the other shows we do on the network, our Facebook page, prize draws, and much, much more. The next episode of Talking Seinfeld, we'll be covering the episode the Good Samaritan. This has been The Limo. Mr. Davis, any final words for those amazing listeners out there? Well, Dan, I think I speak for both of us when I say I would never make a Nazi unhappy. <laughs>